0: Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to get started. Good good morning and welcome to the Cato Institute's uh, F.A. Hayek Auditorium. Uh, actually, I should say the new and improved uh, and expanded uh, 205-seat uh, F.A. Hayek Auditorium. Uh, we're very proud of uh, the, the, the new renovation that has been accomplished here. For those of you who have come to Cato in the past, uh, you probably noticed the F.A. F. A. Hayek Auditorium used to be downstairs with its mere... 150 seats. Uh, Ed Crane, Cato's uh, founder and, and president, certainly prefers the new auditorium. He likes to say that he's, uh, he was unhappy about the fact that the seats downstairs got smaller over the years. <laughs> well, thanks to your interest in immigration policy and thanks to the, uh, the roster of experts that we've assembled here today to inform you and engage with you today on uh, these issues, we're expecting a capacity crowd. Uh, right now, it doesn't look that way. The weather might be deterring early entrance, but uh, we are expecting a, a capacity crowd. Uh, let me introduce myself. I am Dan Ikenson. I am director of the Cato Institute's Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies, and I'm going to sort of just set the table for what, uh, what you might expect today. Um, but first, let me say on behalf of, of the Cato Institute that I would like to thank the, the Carnegie Corporation, of New York, and the Arthur and Roop Foundation for their generous support of this conference and for their support of the most recent Cato Journal Immigration Edition, copies of which are available on the foyer, foyer, on a table in the foyer out there. Uh, Also, I want to note a couple of other things. First, um, the editor of the Immigration Edition of the Cato Journal, Dan Griswold, whom many of you might know as Cato's immigration policy expert, is no longer with the Cato Institute. Uh, Dan has moved on to pursue other goals, but his, his contributions to the immigration policy debate have been important uh, and constructive, and his advocacy of a comprehensive, humane U.S. immigration reform uh, is, a worth, is worthy of continuation at Cato and elsewhere. So in that regard, I'd like to take this opportunity to announce that uh, we recently hired a new immigration policy analyst. Uh, many of you may know Alex Norasta. Uh, who for several years has been an immigration policy analyst at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He joined us last week, and he will be sharing his views on the third panel this afternoon. Well, immigration policy is is topical in Washington this week for for reasons beyond this conference. Uh, The Supreme Court heard oral argument yesterday uh, concerning the constitutionality of Arizona's uh, uh, controversial immigration law, which makes it illegal to be in Arizona without proper documentation and which permits the police to question suspected illegal immigrants about their immigration status while leaving the parameters of what should raise suspicions about that status to the discretion of the police. Meanwhile, this week if you in the Washington Post and in other media outlets you may have seen stories suggesting that the problem of illegal immigration has dissipated uh, on account of lower birth rates in Mexico uh, and on account of a relatively improving Mexican economy. Uh, Pew research found uh, finds that Americans this year are less concerned uh, about immigration than they have been in recent years. But I would remind that such perceptions don't give us license to sweep the problems caused by our dysfunctional immigration system uh, under the rug. Uh, as my colleague Ilya Shapiro notes, America's immigration system is a schizophrenic set of laws that don't advance any particular goal or mission. If you tried to put together a set of procedures for how foreigners enter a country, how long they can stay, and what they can do while here, uh, it would be hard to come up with something less efficient or effective than our current hodgepodge of often contra regulations. This immigration non-policy has led us to a state of affairs that serves nobody's interests, not big business or small business, not the rich or the poor, Not the most or least educated, not the economy or national security, and certainly not the average taxpayer, except perhaps immigration lawyers and bureaucrats. Well, the broad theme of this conference is the question, is immigration good for America? Uh, That is a decidedly odd question to have to ask in a country that has had uh, great success overcoming material want, creating enormous wealth and durable institutions that support the creation of wealth and opportunity, where, where most of its citizens are immigrants or descendants of immigrants? Yet this is a question that Americans seem to revisit time and time again. Uh, in the case of this conference, I think the question is more rhetorical. Uh, I think it's safe to say that today's speakers would all argue that immigration is good for America, although some might throw caveats or asterisks into their answers. So you might notice that we're not so much addressing the question of whether uh, immigration is good. Uh, but rather starting from the premise that immigration is on par a good thing. So the first panel uh, will describe and discuss some of the benefits and costs of immigration at both the lower skilled and high skilled ends of the spectrum. The second panel will uh, provide critical assessments of specific aspects of the current U.S. immigration system. Uh, If immigration is on par good for America, uh, why do we have such a dysfunctional system, uh, and what is the evidence of that dysfunction? The third panel operates under the assumption that the first panel renders immigration good uh, and the second panel judges the immigration system bad. Uh, I hope I haven't given too much away. (laughs) Uh, But but the role of the third panel is really to offer up some policy solutions to to bridge the gap. In addition to the three panels uh, today, we have two individual presentations, uh, a keynote address this morning from Tamar Jacoby uh, and a luncheon address which will also happen in this room at noon, uh, from Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. Now, the biographies of of all of today's speakers are included in the folders, or those packets that are available uh, on the table in the foyer. Now, before introducing Tamar, let me just ask that you silence your telephones, turn them off, put them on vibrate, so as not to disturb the presentations. Our keynote speaker today is Tamar Jacoby. Uh, She will give her presentation, and when she concludes, the first panel is going to immediately take to the stage. Uh, In other words, there is not going to be time for a formal Q&A with Tamar, uh, but I'm sure she'd be willing to talk with you during the coffee break or or, or during lunch. Uh, Tamar Jacoby is president and CEO of Immigration Works USA, uh, which is a national federation of small business owners working to advance better immigration law. Uh, She is a nationally known journalist and author. Her articles have appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The Weekly Standard, and Foreign Affairs, among other publications. And she is a regular guest on national television and radio. Jacoby is author of Someone Else's House, America's Unfinished Struggle for Integration, and editor of Reinventing the Melting Pot, The New Immigrants and What It Means to be American, which is a collection of essays about immigrant integration. Uh, from 1989 to 2007, Tomorrow was a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Before that, she was a senior writer and justice, uh, justice editor for Newsweek. And from 1981 to 1987, she was a deputy editor of the New York Times op ed page. Uh, she is currently a Schwartz Fellow at the New America Foundation. So please help me in welcoming Tamar to the podium.
1: Thank you. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Dan. And um, thank you, Cato. Uh, what a pleasure to be here. Um, this is really—I'm really looking forward to what looks to me to be a wonderful event today. Uh, a truly distinguished roster, a who's who of, um, of thoughtful people who work on and think about immigration policy, and I'm, uh, I'm more than a little bit humbled to um, to be kicking it off. So, of course, um, you know, I've been pondering what to say for weeks, and. Um, you know what am I going to add to the incredible scholarship that you're about to hear for the rest of the, during the rest of the day? Uh, the presentations add to what's in this amazing volume, and also the presentations to come. And what came to me is that in many ways, um, my experience in Washington uh, in the immigration debate, my 10 years here um, fighting for change in immigration policy, is kind of analogous to this conference. So what I do is I'm sort of a Uh, go-between for the kinds of thoughtful, research-oriented, data-driven people, scholars and thinkers that you're going to hear today, and the, um, shall we say, uh, less scholarly, less data-driven people up in that big white building on the hill. So I'm a kind of intermediary, a kind of interpreter. Uh, I won't say dumber downer, but you get the idea. And in fact, I can remember. taking ideas from at least two people who you're going to hear from today uh, and injecting them into the debate in 2006 and 2007, the debate about comprehensive immigration reform. I won't name names. They know who they are. Um, but by analogy, um, and this is my point, um, I see this conference is playing that same role. Uh, Cato has assembled a really august group um, and put them on a podium here less than a mile from, from, from the Capitol. Um, And the Institute is playing that same role to feed good ideas into the policy process. So with that in mind, I thought maybe the most useful thing I could do today would be to talk a little bit about the condition of the ground up there that today's good ideas are going to be falling on. What's the mood on Capitol Hill? Uh, What's the state of play politically? Uh, And is there any inclination to listen to some good ideas? about immigration. Now, of course, I have good news and bad news. So let's do the bad news first. Uh, for anyone who's been doing working on immigration policy in, you know, in Washington, and there are many in this room, um, the last five years have been um, painful, to say the least. Um, I, at one point in these five years, I heard somebody quote LBJ. And what I've come to think of is one of the smartest things anybody's ever said about politics because it's so apt for this issue these years, Uh, LBJ used to ask his fellow legislators, do you want a bill or an issue? And a bill meant a compromise, a solution, uh, something that Democrats and Republicans worked together on and gave a little something for everyone, all the factions that needed uh, relief. An issue was a wedge issue, um, something that you take home in campaign season and raise money and appeal to voters on. And I don't think I have to belabor the point. Uh, immigration has become a wedge issue, maybe the mother of all wedge issues. Uh, and I blame both parties. Uh, I blame both parties quite equally, actually. I think both are guilty. I think both are benefiting. Uh, and I'm not, I think it's going to come back, probably, to haunt both of them eventually. Republicans, certainly, and, and you know, in, the, in, the, in the perhaps near term. But I think, potentially, Democrats as well, eventually. Um, And that's another long story. I can talk on and on about that, uh, um, the way the two parties are conspiring to make it impossible to make progress on this. But the point for us is that it doesn't make the ground very receptive to good ideas coming out of a conference like this. The second piece of bad news is that comprehensive is dead. And I don't just mean comprehensive immigration reform, I mean comprehensive anything. Big omnibus bills of any kind since healthcare they're not doable. Healthcare gave comprehensive the bad name, you know, maybe for a decade. Um, I think if you tried to pass comprehensive national security, you would have a hard time getting it getting it done on the Hill. And the third piece of bad news, and let's be honest, um, I'm, I am I can talk about Republicans this way because I am a Republican. Republicans are more entrenched than ever in their opposition to quote unquote amnesty. Um, you know. As, we, as recently as 2006, 22 Republicans voted for the McCain-Kennedy answer for the unauthorized people. I don't think it was amnesty, but for the unauthorized people here in the United States. As recently as 2000, in 2007, that number dropped from 22 to 12 when it was the um, Kyle-Kennedy uh, compromise. In, in December 2010, when it was the DREAM Act, the number was down to three. Uh, and I'm not sure... You know, I, I shudder to think uh, what would happen if, we, if somebody tried to pass any of those bills today uh, in, in that form. Now, of course, there are reasons for this, uh, political reasons that we all can understand. I think the base kind of is the phrase that sums it up. And there are also reasons that have to do with this wedge issue dynamic that I'm talking about, right? Demo- immigration has become an issue that Democrats own. And for that reason, Republicans, even Republicans who want to help, um, have a hard time going near it. But again, the point for us, how soft is the ground? Um, pretty hard in some places. But, and aren't you good I'm getting to the but, um, there is also some good news. So I guess I should preface that. Um, I've always been, I should preface the good news, I've always been um, a glass is half full silver lining person. Um, uh, so those of you who think I'm being a little optimistic, forgive me. Um, but I do think there's some good news out there. And the first is that in the last six months, um, we have started to see um, what I think of as a thaw on Capitol Hill. You know, if for the past five years basically what we had was frozen tundra, um, I think we're starting to see it soften a little bit, melt a little bit um, here and there. Um, let me be clear. With one notable exception that I'm going to talk about in a minute, um, no one is, is talking about is doing anything for the unauthorized immigrants in the country. Um, but there, have been, there has been quite a bumper crop of bills to, to make urgently needed fixes to the legal immigration system. Uh, they're Democrat and Republican. But again, what's very interesting is that many of them come from the Republican side of the aisle. Again, I don't want to exaggerate. They're small. They're mostly rifle shots. They don't do anything for the unauthorized population. They're all for the legal system. But we've seen bills to fix the agricultural temporary worker program, many bills. I mean, there's half a dozen in that (laughs) sector alone. Uh, We've seen a bill to remove the per country caps for skilled workers and families. I'll talk more about that in a minute. We've seen a number of bills for students with STEM degrees. We've even seen a provision for Irish people. And this is just kind of the, the, the ones that stand out. Um, none have been enacted, right? None of these. No, no, no we haven't helped a single immigrant yet. Um, but the country cap bill, and this was the most interesting, um, passed overwhelmingly. It was in the House. It was designed so well, narrow enough with a little something for everyone. I mean, crafting legislation, you know, is quite the art, and especially a rifle shot like this. It passed overwhelmingly in the House in November by a vote. And just wait, you know, this is an immigration bill by a vote of 389 to 15. I mean, when has an immigration bill, you know, Republicans don't like to say the immigration word, but um, 389 members of the House voted for this bill. Um, It went on to be blocked in the Senate by one man. That basically can happen in the Senate, Senator Grassley. But without Senator Grassley, um, I believe it would have passed with an overwhelming majority in the Senate as well. So although, you know, obviously, this woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of legislation doesn't help any immigrants, right? Um, The fact that it had a nice big vote in the House doesn't do anything, doesn't help any immigrants, doesn't help any US employers. But it's still good news in my view. It could not have happened two or three years ago. It's really an important sign of thaw. And to me, it's a symptom, basically, of a new model emerging on Capitol Hill. Uh, you all know the old model. The old model was comprehensive immigration reform. And, you know, the theory kind of behind comprehensive immigration reform, and I'm going to be a little cynical, but no partial fix was allowed to come up or pass. You know, no no matter how bad the roof was leaking in the high-tech sector or the ag sector or some other sector, no partial fix was allowed to pass. No group, no constituency in need of help was allowed to get satisfaction on the theory that if everyone was unhappy together, uh, they would get so frustrated that they would come together and they would push together and get the big comprehensive bill over the hump. Well, obviously, that didn't work. You know, we tried that frustration built up for five years. You could say 10 years, depending on how you count. Uh, We didn't get there. Um, So a new model is emerging. And the new model is very different. It's small piece by small piece, uh, small baby step by baby step, and I think the idea is you know, solve some small problems, take them off the table, show that D's and R's can work together, let R's learn they can say the I word and not have lightning strike, uh, build some confidence, and eventually move on to some bigger pieces. And again, they haven't taken any steps yet, right? Um, I don't want to be exaggerating, but I think it's a very promising new model. And I think a lot of people on the Hill kind of get it. I'm not just saying it. You know, you hear it on the Hill. And in this vein, in this, in, this, in this line of these small pieces, I'm very encouraged, some people in the room will probably disagree with me, but by the new Republican version of the DREAM Act that's, we're, that we're hearing in the press is being worked on by Republican Senator uh, Marco Rubio from Florida. It hasn't been introduced yet. We don't know all the details. It's leaking out, you know, bit by bit in the press, interviews, and what have you. And it's certainly a compromise. I mean, not to get into the weeds of it, um, you know, the Dream Act allows young people who were brought here by their parents through no fault of their own and are now unauthorized, if they go to school and serve in the military, to be, get on a path to citizenship. Senator Rubio's bill will help that same population, but it won't put them on an automatic path to citizenship. It won't bar them from citizenship. Um, They will be able to get in other green card queues from family, employment, what have you, queues that we know are very, very long. Um, But it does give them uh, the right to stay in the country, go to school, uh, work, and stay, and eventually get to green cards by some other method. Now, that's a compromise. Some people will find that compromise odious. Um, you know, not giving people citizenship, having people spend most of their lives here, um, or maybe decades, maybe most of their lives as not yet as citizens. Um, Let's, I don't want to talk. I'm not here to, to argue the merits of the case, um, but to me, the important thing politically is that um, this is an influential, high-profile Republican. Right, Senator Rubio wants to be the vice presidential candidate, not just introducing a bill to legalize hundreds of thousands of unauthorized young people, but staking his political career on introducing a bill to legalize hundreds of thousands of unauthorized young people. That's a huge change from just a year or two years or three years ago when there wasn't an influential Republican in town who wanted to touch a bill that had anything to do with unauthorized immigrants. So the second piece of good news, and I think think the other two pieces are pretty obvious, but the second piece of good news, it's obvious to anybody reading the newspaper, I won't dwell on it, is the Latino vote. Fastest-growing voting bloc in the country, key in several important, you know, maybe eleven, maybe five out of the twelve key swing states, in my view, um, you know, could literally decide the election by deciding Florida alone. Um, both parties get it. Both parties understand the stakes. Um, immigration is not the number one issue for Latinos. Immigration is a threshold issue for Latinos. Uh, I like to say, you know, that like everybody else, their top issues are the economy, the economy, the economy, and then maybe education, but. Immigration is a threshold issue. If you talk the wrong way about immigration, you put, you put many Latino voters off. You know, I like to say about uh, Governor Romney, he's like a salesman um, who go, comes to your door to sell you something, and he starts by saying, I don't like people like you. Um, that's, you know, that's, immigration is that kind of issue um, for Latinos. Um, and obviously the fact that they have the power they have and that they're going to have the influence they have you know, even if it's much less than people expect uh, in the coming election, uh, is going to be good news for this issue and a harbinger of more thaw to come. So last and hardly least, you know, the third piece of good news needs even less um, belaboring. It's the economy, stupid. Um, yes, the recovery has been slow. Yes, the recovery has been shallow. Yes, the recovery has been halting one step forward, two steps back. But the direction is up. And that obviously makes people less anxious about immigrants. So in closing, um, don't get me wrong. You know, I am a notorious optimist. Um, I had occasion just the other day to look back at a talk I gave in March 2009 where I predicted absolutely no question, no doubts at all that President Obama was going to introduce comprehensive immigration reform in his first year. So take what I said today with a grain of salt. Um, I'm certainly not predicting comprehensive immigration reform. I'm certainly not predicting anything this year. Nothing's going to happen before November. Um, and if there is progress next year, um, I think it's going to be slow, probably very slow, little piece by little piece. Um, there's a long road ahead and many battles. But you know, I'm starting to hear the kind of whisperings that you hear on the Hill, this or that office, this or that member, and in a couple of occasions, surprising Republican members saying, and it's, I've heard the same kind of phrase a few times now, something's going to happen on immigration next year. Um, now, you know, read between the lines. Something could be small. Um, who, knows, you know, who knows what it's going to be? But what, you, what I've heard a few times now from very surprising offices is something's going to happen on immigration next year, and Republicans are going to have to be part of it. So I think this is a great time and a great place to be having this conference. Um, I think the people up the street need your diagnosis. They need your good ideas. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to listening through the day. And um, you know, let's just hope I'm not being too optimistic. Let's just hope I'm right. Let's just hope the ground is soft enough for the ideas that we're going to hear here today to take root and flower in the months and years ahead.